Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar here on the Searcy Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and as always here on The Mason Jar, I'm joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? It's going well, sort of. We have a little smoke in our neighborhood from these uh, wildfires, but we're yeah, good. It's crazy. It's crazy. Some of the pictures, even of you know the mountains here in North Carolina, which obviously are close to where you are, are... Uh, it looks like when I lived out in the West, we used to get fires in Idaho all the time, but nothing like, you know, we haven't seen this in years. Yeah, I don't, I've never in my whole life, seen, you know, even thought that was a possibility. I mean, and we have so many more neighborhoods than they have out West, so it makes yes. it very, yes. very nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. So can you see flames or is it just the smoke? Oh, I can see flames. When I go to work, I drive alongside a mountain. Um, so a couple days I did see flames on, wow. we had a really bad fire, uh, at a place we actually like to hike. So I'm real curious, uh, what that's going to look like, um, in the future. But, um, that was going on for, for two weeks or so. They did get that fire put out. So um, that's the first one I've heard. They've actually got it 100% um, contained. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It's uh, When we lived in Idaho, there were people who lived kind of on the edge of the, the foothills, sort of. And, you know, people would lose their houses from time to time. And it's uh, something definitely for people to keep their prayers in because these fires are, are big, really big. Yeah, and we have no rain on the forecast. That's, yeah, that's it's been the awful. agonizing thing. Yeah, not. I mean, that, that that's an issue for more than just the... the the fire from the fire perspective as well, but we haven't had hardly any rain at all this year. So, well, anyway, um, <laughs> we are here to do a Q and a episode of the Mason jar, not to talk about fires and rain and things like that as much as we could go on and on about that. And I'm sure that many of our listeners are actually being directly impacted by it. Um, so, uh, if you're listening and, and, um, you, you know, can keep that in your prayers, I think that would be a, good thing and a lot of our listeners would appreciate that but before we get going i just need to say a quick word from our sponsor this month uh you know them they're the classic learning test uh, they invite students to wrestle with works of the greatest minds in the history of western thought across literary and mathematical content rich material reflecting both theistic and secular perspectives benefits and enriches the student in the test-taking process among standardized college entrance exams the clt provides the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation accomplishment and potential so students take a two-hour exam at a local testing center, and they re receive test scores pretty much immediately. So you take the test, you submit it, and you can see right away what, how you did. Those results can then be sent directly to any of the colleges who have partnered with them. That's schools like the King's College and Bryan College and St. John's College and New St. Andrews and Patrick Henry and many others. Um, if you head over to cltexam.com, you can see more of those schools. Existing standardized tests focus too narrowly on sterilized texts without allowing students to consider broader implications of decisions, ideas, and discoveries found in the rich and abundant variety of sources ranging from Augustine to Kant. So the CLT seeks to reintroduce this variety by focusing on sources and materials that draw upon a strong tradition and challenge students to analyze and comprehend texts that are not just concerned with one small narrow topic, but rather represent the scope and complexity of all of Western tradition. To learn more about this alternative to the ACT and the SAT, head over to cltexam.com. That's cltexam.com. And thanks to them for sponsoring this month. Okay. We have a few questions here from that listeners have sent in. And of course, if you want to send in questions for a future episode, you can email us. Uh, my email is david at circeinstitute.org. And Cindy's email is cindy at ordo-amoris.com. Is that, that, that's right, That Cindy. is correct, yes. All right. I remembered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so ordo... complicated. My husband thinks it's silly, but um, there it is. <laughs> no, that's not silly. Ordo-amoris.com. Uh, we were... Um, 
looking over mere motherhood and i realized um you know look at a little news out of the back here we are working on ebook versions of mere motherhood and the morning time book which is now the printer and i noticed that somewhere in the uh, the like uh, i guess maybe it was in your bio it had said order amoris not ordo amoris which i chalk up to autocorrect which is the worst nightmare oh i know it's kind of one of those awful words that every time you try to do it you have to make sure you're paying attention every editor who works a lot with another language especially like a latinate language where the words are close to english so the so the autocorrector thinks that you're you're trying to speak in english when really you're not that throws off a lot because then it doesn't say oh it's the wrong word it just corrects it to english yeah uh, when it i hate autocorrect i really do it, it, it i mean it's helpful obviously in, in a lot of situations but yeah if you're really... texting on your phone or something and you're typing yeah. fast it's helpful but when you're writing in a word document or like indesign or something it's not necessarily the most helpful thing okay let's talk some questions here um speaking of exams you know clt is our sponsor um you mentioned that you have been wanting to talk about exams a little bit. So um, I'm going to let you just have the floor on that and, you know, speak some of the things that were on your mind. And then if I have any questions, just to clarify, I will fire away on those. But I think this is a good way to start, especially given who our sponsor is this month. Yeah, I was just thinking that how perfect, because even what they were saying um, in their ad goes along with what I was going to say too about uh, assessment and exams and how how a lot of people wonder how that works in a charlotte mason education because um as charlotte says each we she her method respects that each child might take something different out of a lesson um, than another Mm. child and yet our traditional examinations um, really don't examine whether the mind is at work. They just examine whether you c- extracted this particular bit of information. It really yeah. makes it confusing when you talk to people about what education uh, means. And, and So anyway, um, I, I was doing exams with my students, Charlotte Mason-style exams, with my students this week, and I thought, well, th- this is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm loving this exam week. And um, I thought maybe our listeners would like to hear uh, what a Charlotte Mason type exam week looks like and um, and what I'm doing with my kids, which I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. So we've been studying for about 11 weeks. And, and and I think traditionally you would, you know, a term would be 12 weeks. And then the 13th week uh-huh. is considered an exam week. Uh, but we're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I thought, if I don't do this now, uh, it's probably not going to happen. And really, uh, years ago, I found with my own kids, when you are doing a Charlotte Mason education, if you do take that week out and you do exams, uh, your children, it, it will really help your next term. It, it really, if, if they don't get it the first time around, it, it will help them when they're studying the second, the second time around. So, um, that, you know, for term two or term three or, or on into their education. So I really, really highly recommend that you take a week off and you do exams. If you want to see examples of a Charlotte Mason style exams, you can go to Ambleside online and hit on a tab at the bottom called exams. Uh, since I am using those year, uh, several of, of Ambleside years with my students, I took some um, of the exam questions directly from Ambleside, but also based on what I've been doing with my students, um, 
I, I made up a few of my own. So I thought I would just read off uh, maybe 10. I have 20, 20 exam questions for my 10-year-old 10, 10 10 student who I have the most. And then I have um, a few more um, questions. I have 16 for my 12-year-old for my student. And um, so here's my exam. I'll just I'll just go down the exam questions slowly and read uh, what I have for my ten year old. Um, the first question is um, write the alphabet in cursive. Now I have a a um, I have a composition book for just for exams. So for the whole year. Um, each each of these questions will basically have one whole one page of the of the copy of the copy book, and then they can um, they can add um, to, when we take our second term exams, we'll just continue on in the same book. So here we have a whole page, and I say write the alphabet in cursive, and then I've let him. Now he's ten; he he hates to write in cursive, so I let him I let him do uh, two lines of the alphabet a day uh, for our exam week and not make him uh, do the whole thing. Um, the second exam question is write one poem that you have memorized from memory. Uh, that's a writing question too. And so um, because it was on the same day, and, I, and I've spaced these 20 questions out over you know five or six days. Uh, when, I, when I got to the third question, tell me a little bit about Vivaldi. I, I didn't make him write that down. I, I took the page and, and he told me everything he could think of about Vivaldi and I just wrote that down for so him. Like a, so like a narration kind of. Yeah, it would be a narration. Most of these are narrations. Uh, some I, I I made them more list listy just for the sake of the child uh, that that struggles. You know, a ten year old is going to struggle to write twenty narrations. Can I ask you a question about that that question that yeah. you asked him? So if you're doing, um, if you ask him about Vivaldi and he just say, "Tell me everything you know," and then uh, he's giving you the information, and you feel like there's something. That you that that you remember that he knows that maybe he's just not recalling because it's the stress of an exam or something. Would you give him prompts? You know, some students just struggle in that moment, and it's not, you know, they struggle more with test taking than they do with understanding or not knowing information. Yeah, so I think ultimately, how do you bridge yeah, that? I would probably. I I think real realistically, yes, I probably would. I mean, knowing me, I probably would. I don't think that's the way they're set up to be. But especially in these first round, uh, the first time a child has ever come to these exams, I would definitely like. I did say that about Vivaldi because uh, one of the things that it talked about a lot was, you know, Vivaldi was a redheaded priest, and so you know, he had said he was a priest and I said, Oh, what did they say about him? Remember they said something about him. He actually never remembered that, but his sister who I also asked the same question to did remember that, um, the, the that detail about the red hair. Um, but, but he remembered a lot about Vivaldi. So I was happy. And then in the end, because I, I just said, what was your favorite, uh, Vivaldi piece and out of the four, and he said the four seasons that he liked spring the best. Mm -hmm. And he, they were very opinionated about, um, which, which of those, um, they like the best. It was, it was kind of interesting to see them relate to that music. And we had been listening to Vivaldi for the whole school year up until now, uh, just a little bit, a couple mornings a week. And then, and then we did uh, do the, um, 
a ring of Vivaldi in the Ring of Mystery, which is on Spotify, but it's one of those old classical kids recordings. It's quite a exciting little story about, and they a lot of what they remembered came from that story. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I would I, I think it would just depend on the child and the situation. A, a child who's been doing exams for years, I would not give them any hints. But a child you're training to do exams, I definitely would give them hints. Yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, so so then out. today was kind of fun. I said either describe in words or draw from memory one of Mary Cassatt's paintings, your or your favorite. And and both my students had that question, and they both picked. I thought they would probably pick the same painting, but they did not. And it was very fascinating to see them them draw these um, draw these. Um, we use crayons, and they did it on their in their composition book. And and the one uh, the one student drew the opera where the the opera glasses the lady's looking at the opera or the man um, is looking at the opera and the other student drew a picture of a man and his son uh, sitting together in the living room of or a parlor I'm sure <laughs> and and both uh, pictures I recognize I was able to recognize um, both pictures. And and that was a lot of fun. They loved that. They were both like, oh, because because the boy, of course, is like, oh, I've got to write all this stuff. So any any way I can uh, make this uh, not just a series of of, narr- of just written narrations, written narrations, uh, um, that's good. Um, he and then of course we're reading a lot of books. So I just said, you know, write a narration on the wheel on the school. Write a narration on the five children and it. Write a narration on on your favorite Bible story from this term. Um, and then we've done other, the princess and Curdy. he's learned about Luther Burbank. Uh, we did American folk heroes. So I, I have a question, you know, tell me about your favorite American folk hero. And then, um, a couple grammar questions. So I have, um, write all the parts of speech, an example of each, because we talk about that quite a bit and he's, he's does quite well with the, the parts of speech. And I also have, um, draw two kinds of columns because we had talked um, we've been doing Hillier's architecture books and um, one of the earliest chapters and and, and one of the most interesting is on all the different types of columns that we see uh, you know from the Greek culture the Doric the Ionic and the Corinthian columns Mm -hmm. so um, so those are just a few examples Um, I, I do have you know draw a heart from memory from our science and a, and a diagramming a sentence. And and even as a departure, I'm going to have him, I'm going to try to get him, I'm not sure how well this is going to go over, but to sing one of the folk songs. And of course, that <laughs> won't go in the composition book, but we'll see. Right. We'll, I haven't had quite enough nerve to bring that one up yet to see. So will you, will you, how will you grade that? I mean, how will you assess the quality of that? Because, you know, different students obviously are better singers than others. I mean, will you just go based on the ability to recognize the Yeah, I'm, I am going to give... I'm going to give them a grade just so they so they feel it has some value, but I'm, I'm really just, it's really assessment in the purest sense of the word is that I'm assessing um, how, how, what they pick up. I can learn a lot from this because I can see, oh, he really relates to these kind of stories, um, but he is not, he might need a little more handholding on these sorts of things. Um, you, you'd be surprised sometimes, you know, what, a child will remember and what they won't remember when you start doing these, um, um, narrations. Yeah. Today I said, um, write, 
um, list five things that you remember from Little Pilgrim's Progress. Well, he, before he even did that, he went off on this long, long um, explanation of why he liked Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the first part about about Christian better than the second part about Christiana. And he had a lot of excellent reasons, and and it was just fascinating to see him rethinking it because we had finished this a few weeks ago. And him going back over and said, that dark river. See, I hadn't said anything to him. He said, he, but all of a sudden he said to me, that dark river, That they were dying, weren't they, when they went across the dark river? And I said, yes, I, they were. And he said, but they were excited about it um, or, because they didn't realize they were dying. And I said, yeah, they knew, you know, they had faith that they were going to the celestial city. So that took away some of their fear, although some of the pilgrims had great fear when they crossed the river. So so just the fact that we went back and we're reviewing something we'd read a long time ago, um, and he was still able to interact and bring up things that maybe we hadn't had time to, to you know, he had been processing over a long period of time. So these exams, I just think they're, they're a lot of fun. And, they, and, and like my other student, who is a girl, she, of course, absolutely adores um, taking the exam. You know, she loves to write a long narrations, and this just gives her a chance to, you know, pull up pull up all the things that she that she knows. And um, do you think that's partly because she's older, or do you attribute that mainly to the fact that she's a girl? Well, it, at least her it's her personality, I yeah, would okay. say. Um, I don't okay. know if it has anything to do. Um, one of the things I'm going to have them do as far as listing things is I'm going to have them name. Since we had a presidential election, um, we've been going over the presidents quite a bit. So I'm going to see if, you know how many presidents they can name. And um, the other thing I'm going to do with her is because we do a lot of poetry work is I'm going to, I, I have, um, as one of her exam questions, write a sonnet with 10 lines in iambic pentameter, A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, E. And she'll, she'll, she'll handle that perfectly. I mean, she'll probably write something up that should be published. She's such an amazing, <laughs> uh, uh, very insightful, um, student, you know, the kind of student that, you know, we just all think every student should be, but, um, but I, of course, enjoy, enjoy the boys who, who, whenever they have an epiphany, it, it's a little different than, than what, what you have going with your, with the perfect students. So both, it's fun with both yeah. of them. They both have different strengths and, and, yeah. and, the, and these exams kind of bring that out. Yeah. Okay. So just to clarify this, you're spreading this out over the course of the week, right? You're not, yes. you're not setting aside two hours or an hour and it's just, you're doing it all at one time. You're no, 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 no. Um, because I'm not just doing this. I'm going, I mean, I'm still reading a few of the books to them. I don't want them to just sit there and do exams all week. So, right. and I knew for the, for the boy, it would be very stressful for him to have to write that much. So mm-hmm. instead of his daily written narration, I'm, you know, I'm do I'm mixing this up. So, um, some of the harder narrations are just done once, one one a day, rather than than you know pile them up, go write fifteen narrations. Now the other student probably could do that, and, and it would be fine. But I, I think doing three or four questions a day is, is is a good good way to do it. So I can imagine that there'd be like a critic of this approach might say, "Oh, well, you're not preparing them." for the kind of tests they're going to have to take later or for college or, or whatever. There are standardized tests. So as your students get older, like you, you graduated eight, 
eight yeah. kids. And so you had to do all kinds of test taking with them. How did you uh, find that this kind of test taking prepared, you know, your kids at home for the high school years? And, and then how did you change your approach to exams? when? They well, th- this is kind of going around the back to get to the, the only thing I did to change my approach to exams was um, if they were doing math or science and they could take a regular exam, I would give them that in high school uh, so they could get in the habit of taking exams. And then when they got in high school, I also would buy um, an ACT book, an SAT book, and, and we would do as many practice tests as we could fit in our life. Uh, I, I think that's basically the only preparation we did for these kind of exams. And none of my kids had trouble um, as far as um, um, going to college and, and, you know, two, two or three of my, well, three, three of my sons got very good scholarships to college. So, um, and we did not do a lot of regular exams. Now they didn't even do a lot of these sorts of exams, but they, we did do a lot of narration and a lot of thinking and a lot of talking. So I, I just feel like, that an exam taking an exam or a, a modern test is a skill it, it's kind of a stupid skill um i i, I always laugh I, I always tell the story because when i was in college uh, my professor well i probably shouldn't even tell this story but my professor gave a test to my friend and um and and, and then he gave it to me the next day but he didn't change it at all and i said to her I said, this test is so easy. I said, I'm not even going to look at the answers because I know all, everything in the class. I'm just going to memorize A, C, H, D, R, you know, and see if it's the same test. And it was. And it's just such a system of foolishness to test like that. I mean, I, I know there's time and a place for it. And I, and I know people do test like that. And, and it's helpful. In a, it's helpful in a limited way. But... It's just a skill that we can pick up pretty quickly. It doesn't take, um, to use an overused metaphor, a rocket scientist to figure out a few test-taking strategies. And and around here, we do have a class that a man gives um, on taking the SAT and some strategies. So I put my kids in that, in that. And, and they get they pick up some strategies that maybe, you know, they haven't picked up on their own because we haven't been doing that sort of testing. And, yeah. and it's, it, it works out fine. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's just, that sort of thing is just a skill. Um, yeah. It's not yeah. really a thing. It's not really education. It's not really yeah. learning. And yeah. the thing is, they're going to remember all of this. They're yeah. not, none of this, none of this that they've narrated to me is ever going to be lost from their mind for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always going to have it. Whereas everything they learn for it's almost a hundred percent of what they learn for a, a traditional test is, is going to be something they, they do not retain because they don't respect it. And, and, and they didn't, you know, it's, it, it's just the way it is. Well, and you know, what comes to mind is like when I was in college and I guess, high, you know, taking classes in high school and things like that, you get a study guide and you just study the study guide for the test and you learn what you had to do to pass the test or to do well on the test, depending on how much you cared. But you, you know, what you're doing, I think what, if a 10-year-old learns to to think on their feet that way, to respond, you know, just via conversation and to learn to communicate things that way, they're going to be prepared 
for the other methods of test taking. They're going to, you know, those the, the other kinds of tests will be will come that much easier to them because they'll have learned to to think to think on the fly to not just learn what's there for a study guide. Yeah, I mean it's just memorization and if they're already if you're teaching them to memorize, then they're going to be able to memorize those definitions and those, you know, the the things that they have to memorize. I mean, Alex, my son, my own son Alex, who who did have some of these exams, um, is in high school now and he, you know, is doing the traditional test and, and his whole education really is at this point based around, I have a test I have to study for and not, you know, I have, uh, I have some learning that I need to prepare for, or, you know, it is centered on the test and I, I don't have a lot of hope uh, on some of that. Although I will say I, I love his teachers and I love, he has so many honors teachers that really do want them to learn, but it, but the only way those teachers are allowed to assess is through a traditional test. And, yeah. um, and I see that with him, you know, it's just cramming for a test and then, and then forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to dump it out so you can, but he's like... making very good grades. He's in honors classes. He's got, you know, 98 and all, you know, most of his classes, he's got a hundred all, on all his grades and a couple in the harder classes, he has a 98 and a 96. So, um, so all that reading and talking actually does work. You're saying, yeah, I mean, he's not <laughs> struggling in any way in his high school. So, um, well, I, I feel like I, I don't feel like that's as big as a problem as we feel like it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a couple of minutes left, but only a couple of minutes left. We're, okay. Um, so I want to go with. Uh, I want to get one more question here before we before we head out. Uh, here's a question about. I, I guess it's about narration. So the person asks, "What do I do when I ask what happened in that sentence?" And my daughter says, "I don't remember." Should I try to draw her memory out with questions or does that defeat the purpose? And what about terms like one chapter recently introduced senators, knights, patricians, plebeians, and so forth. Should I expect her to learn what those mean or does that expectation distract from the narrative? And we only have a few minutes, but I think you can probably answer that question. pretty. Yeah. It's a similar answer to what you said about, um, I, I think that the reason I like that question is because it happens to every one of us. We, we read the thing and we're going to expect a narration and the child has nothing to say. And it's so frustrating because you, you feel like I, I have this rich method and I, and you know, I, all this stuff we talk about and yet that my child is staring at me blankly <laughs> and, and, and yeah. that happens more than we like to, you know, admit that the child didn't, you know, it, 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 the child is not able to access whatever it is he took away from, from that. And I think we see that a lot with very young children who are just, or, or children who are coming out of another way of learning into this kind of learning. There, it, it's, it's, a, it's just something that um, we, we don't have to panic. It's going to be okay. And we just probably need to back up at that point. And number one, I would read less. I would, um, I would not, um, I would, I would, I would kick back and say, okay, since this child is not getting this, um, I'm reading, you know, two or three paragraphs. I'm only going to read a paragraph until they get in the swing of it. Now, as far as this vocabulary where it says um, they were introduced to the words senators, knights, patricians, and plebeians, um, I think you could, before you read it, if you see those words are coming up, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, in this chapter, we're going to be hearing about senators and knights and patricians and plebeians and maybe doing a little vocab lesson before you start. Or 
when you get to the word um, patricians, and am I saying that right? I have the worst time yeah, with that word. No, I think that's right. Okay. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> so we're going with it. Okay. So when you get to that word, you can stop and say, well, this, this, these were the fathers of, of the, of the, the, of the Romans. The, these were the people that were the rulers and the leaders. Um, and, and you can bring, you can, you can do that while you're reading. You can talk about the terms. You can do it in a very organic way as you're reading. And I do that a lot with Shakespeare because you just never know what you're going to run into when you, when you're reading Shakespeare or, or you can do it ahead of time. Like Anne White suggests um, that you do with Plutarch that you just go over and, and Charlotte Mason did that too. And I just heard a girl talk about a science lesson that she saw in a very good Charlotte Mason school in Virginia, where the teacher before the lesson, he put the vocabulary on the board and talked a little tiny bit, not, not at great lengths about some of the vocabulary. And then they read the paragraph and then the children narrated back what they had heard. And she said it was the most profound science lesson that she had ever seen. So I think a little back and forth is perfectly fine. Um, ultimately, you don't want to be pulling. You, you want the child to learn to do that hard work themselves. But mm -hmm. it's it's just like running a mile or, you know, doing pull-ups, you know, which, you know, if I, if I had to go do a, a chin-up or a pull-up on a bar right now, there's no way on earth I could do it. I probably never could do it, but let's just say there was a possibility. Um, you know, I obviously wouldn't be able to do five or ten. I would have to start just trying to, you know, stand on a chair and do it. So it's okay to look at it, I think, as as something you've you got to work up to. And, and And the easiest way to do that is to just shorten what you're reading and then expect a narration um, because uh, at that point they will have remembered much more. Yeah, and skills build on each other. So there's this thing going on, and um, from what I understand, in in like teaching basketball, I think this is a pretty interesting metaphor for the way we teach pretty much anything. Where because professional basketball and college basketball is relying so much on three point shooting mm -hmm. in high school and in middle school and in even much younger kids, you're seeing these teams, these players especially, emphasize shooting three pointers above all else, but they haven't yet really learned how to they haven't developed the skill of shooting a basketball properly so they can't make a layup properly or a free throw properly and they don't know the other skills and so they're becoming worse players or mm. you know they're not learning how to do things properly and so even their three-point shooting which is pretty far away for a little kid you know they're not capable of doing that and so they're becoming you know they're not as skilled as they should be or as they could be and that's going to impact them in the long run and their ability to play the game properly and that i think that goes the same way with a lot of with a lot of things like we try to we try to i don't know if it's because we want our kids to look good or what but we try to make them better at something that they are not capable of doing yet oh i totally agree with that and i and, and i when you lay a foundation it's not very impressive and when you build a tower yeah. and you just do it real quick and you build it to the sky Oh, everybody's all in all, but if there is no foundation, it's just not really much of a tower and it's not going to stand the test of time. Mm. But when you're laying that foundation, it, it's a very slow process. And at first it's kind of boring and it doesn't, I mean, as far as looking at what, what you're doing, I mean, that's one reason these exams are so exciting because you do get to go back and say, oh my goodness, look, he remembers that poem from, you know, six months ago or look, yeah, he, yeah. you know, it really encourages you that all will be well. 
um, but you that you are laying a foundation because sometimes when you are laying a foundation, it doesn't look like you're doing anything. And, and I know people who would watch me teach might think, well, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. They're, what are they learning? You can't see it. You, it, but it, it's it's a strong foundation, and and I can't. You know, it's just later they ha- they have so much when they that they can take those forms that we were so comfortable with. They actually have life to to run into the forms, mm-hmm. so that um, a, a child. Whereas many children have the forms but nothing to put in them. And um, I think we should have both. I think we should have the forms, but but we, we can't forget that it, the forms are nothing without the life that goes in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, that thought, I think, is a good place to stop. Um, I think that's something to, co- to contemplate for the next few weeks between now and our next episode. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to offer on this? No, I think that was probably my final thought. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks you to everyone who's been listening for so long now. Um, we're really grateful to have all the listeners we have. Um, if you would, head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen. Leave us a review, either a star review or a written review. Those things definitely help with the algorithm. I've spoken about that before. Um, and uh, if you would also, head over to uh, org, And we are going to be setting up a, a newsletter. Um, a monthly newsletter uh, that Cindy is going to help curate. And it's going to be the mere motherhood monthly newsletter, something like that. And it's going to be some brief reflections, um, some inspiring, insightful resources, things like that. And we're going to send that out once a month with the first issue coming out in December. Is that right, Cindy? That Well, I'm working on that. Yeah. yeah. So that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, if, you head, <laughs> if you head over to searcyinstitute.org on the front page, we're going to have a graphic, but then also if you just hover, click on the resources tab underneath that, you'll see uh, a button for the mere motherhood sign up page. You can sign up to receive that there. So hopefully in the next uh, month or so, we'll have the first issue of that come out and it'll be monthly to start with. And, We'll, you know, probably actually it'll probably always be monthly. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cindy, Cindy and I are going to curate that together. And um, she's going to, I think you're going to at least write something on Advent, right? For That's what the hope is. For yes, I'm working issue. on it. I have something on Advent and we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So we're pretty excited about that. So if you want to receive that to your inbox for free, you can just head over to, again, at org. click on the resources tab or on the graphic that's on, that's on our front page. Uh, and you can enter your name and your email address there, and we'll get that out to you as soon as as soon as it's ready. Uh, with that, uh, we want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we won't talk to you before the Thanksgiving um, Thanksgiving week, which is next week. Um, but we, you know, hope you have a great holiday and a great time with family and friends. Um, and I know that we are very thankful here for um, all of our listeners and all the great questions and, and support that we've received over the last several months. Cindy, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you. And I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving, too. For Cindy Rollins, for all of us here at Cersei, I'm David Kern saying farewell on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>